Hello and welcome to Across the River, a podcast that weaves together death and dying, tarot, and witchcraft. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We are not experts of any kind, simply two witches who like to think and talk about death, dying, and divination. We invite you to journey with us across the river. We are recording across the river in Toronto, Ontario, also known as Tecoronto. The land that holds this city is and has been for millennia a home to many diverse First Nations and Indigenous, Inuit, and Métis peoples, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. The land teaches us about the cycles of birth, death, decay, and rebirth. We're grateful for the opportunity to live in and learn from this land. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Sarah. How's it going today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. I have some new earrings that I'm very excited about. (laughs) Rebecca just gifted me some lovely Christmas earrings. They are, I hope you enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And we both have some rather hefty mugs of tea. I buy tea mugs that you can like, actually, I think that's a beer stein. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it is, um, which is like the appropriate quantity of tea. Yes. So yeah, I think, I think you buy the right size tea mug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always sad when you have a tiny little cup and you're finished it in like 15 minutes. No, and then you have to refill it and it's, you have to get up from your book and like move the cat off your lap and mm, it's a whole process. You're under a blanket and you have to get out from under it. It's like just a whole situation. So this <laughs> no, is the right size. No, it lasts you hours. Yes. <laughs> so I guess, you know what? It's pretty close to the holidays. It is. We're coming up on solstice. I think uh, at the time we're recording it, it is going to be on Wednesday. Yes. And Christmas is coming up this weekend, um, and I think Hanukkah started on the 18th. I believe so. Yeah. Um, So we are sort of in the middle of the winter holidays, or the approach to the winter holidays, and um, at the time, you know, this will come out on the dark moon, which is, I believe, the 23rd, so it will come out almost directly between the winter solstice and the date of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, people are probably right in the thick of holiday gatherings and holiday preparations and seasonal rituals and seasonal festivities. Um, and so, of course, you and I want to talk about grief. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is our holiday episode. That is our holiday episode is, um, yeah, Grief. And just before we hit record, you and I were talking about why we are addressing this topic at this time. And I wonder if you want to say a little bit more about um, why we've invited grief into our holiday conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you were saying it really lovely um, that grief is almost inherent in these kinds of situations. Um, especially these days, I think things have become, I think grief has kind of permeated almost everything and, um, that includes the holidays, but even before the pandemic, I know for myself, um, holidays are always a little bittersweet as you grow older and you've lost people. Um, there's always this sense this absence um if if you're lucky enough to have spent holidays with family or friends or people like that uh well I guess if if you even celebrate um but yeah there's always a hole when someone is when someone has left but during gatherings um times of family gatherings that absence is more felt especially because they were probably part of rituals that um yeah rituals that they're no longer taking part in Mm -hmm. um yeah um 
that's really resonating with something I was thinking about this morning, which is um, that sense of time sort of collapsing at this time of year, mm. by which I mean many of us, not all, you really, you know, you were right to point out, not everyone celebrates a holiday at this time of year. Mm-hmm. And that can be its own sort of tension when everyone around you is is engaging in this sort of process. But for those who do, which is probably a large proportion of people living here anyway and you know around the world I think a lot of people a lot of cultures have some kind of winter Mm -hmm. observance when we have taken part in that through all stages of our life Mm -hmm. I think this is a time of year when we encounter we sort of encounter our younger selves as we engage in those rituals oh that is so interesting to think I'm thinking like I'm thinking about for instance as I was thinking about this this morning I had in my head an image of some of the ornaments that go on my uh, my, fam- my my parents' Christmas tree, and um, and even that phrase is a little fraught because um, you know my parents have separated. So now there's my mom's tree, my dad's tree. Mm-hmm. I think this particular ornament goes on my mom's tree now, and I'm it's it's a it's an ornament. It's a little wooden ornament of a ballerina wearing a white tutu and with her arms over her head. Mm-hmm. When I put that ornament on a tree. It's as though there's sort of my four-year-old self with me, you know, my little tiny hands putting that ornament on the tree. There's a crack across the middle where I was playing with her one year and I broke her and I think my dad glued her back together. (laughs) There's a sense of, you know, my parents when I was too young to do it myself helping me put her on the tree. So this sort of collapsing of time where Mm -hmm. the past becomes very, very present it does. It does in years of it, really. Yeah, all these accumulated selves and years of mm-hmm. of experience. And so when things have shifted, as you pointed out, they inevitably do as you get older. There are there's maybe a sense of loss of all all different kinds. Yes. The losses of the people who were there with us at those times and are no longer with us, and also the, just the inevitable changing of circumstances mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that bring an element of bittersweetness or indeed outright sadness sometimes to this celebration. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to try to make space to allow that into the fullness of the celebration. Yes, because it doesn't have to be the antithesis to it. It can very much be something that is brought in, a piece that is brought in that is part of the whole of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's something too about, um, you were talking about time collapsing, and I'm thinking about your mourning, I mean, let's say it's a person that's passed. Mm -hmm. You're mourning that, but then you're also mourning yourself and who you were with that particular person, especially as we're talking about how, yes, the past is very present during these times. I was also, um, recent, uh, yesterday I went over to my parents' place. My mom still puts up a tree, uh, even though we're all (laughs) grown and out of the house. Uh Um, and, oh, the stories of all the different ornaments we were putting up. Um, there were ones that like (laughs) tiny hideous ones that my brother and I had made. (laughs) Do you have, um, do you have like a clothespin reindeer on your tree? We do not have okay. a clothespin reindeer. I think we have a clothespin um, Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and just different ones that we'd received over the years as gifts because my aunt who lives in England often sends um, ornaments uh, for Christmas. And just, yeah, just every single piece had a story and a memory attached to it or several memories attached to it. And... We, that sadness is very much, I think, even if you're not mourning a particular person um, or, hmm, how do I want to say this? Even if you're not mourning a particular person, that passage of time, that loss of who you once were is lovely and inevitable and sad. Yeah, I think that's the word for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah, I resonate so much with everything that you just said. I think one of the, 
one of the things that we wanted to address a little bit in this conversation is that there is a huge cultural pressure at this time of year to be happy. To be very happy and cheerful. Yes, mm-hmm. and merry and bright and mm-hmm. all of those things. And to be clear, I think I think that is that is a part of the season. I Oh yes. You know, we're not I think we're not here to say, oh, you know, Christmas schmishmish. You know, we're not <laughs> I, I'm not suggesting I think that there's I think there can be, but um you know, not to say that that's a toxic positivity necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that it is natural that in the darkest time of the year, we lean toward the light. I mm-hmm. think that's a beautiful thing that we often all do collectively. Yes. Um, but to maybe expand our idea about the richness of this holiday, that happiness is not quite dimensional enough yes. for the kinds of experiences that people are having at mm-hmm. this time of year. And that even something like you were describing, like the joyful activity of decorating a tree, mm-hmm. which, um, to come, you know, to come clean, I love Christmas. Oh, me <laughs> I, too. I love this time of year. Decorating the tree is one of my favorite days of the year. Yeah. And you really were speaking beautifully to the ritual element of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I have that too. Um, I have one recording of Christmas music that I listen to every year when I decorate the tree. And when Alan and I got married, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I was sort of like, we're listening to this. And then every so, you know, every... It was funny this year. I was like, you know, if there's any music that you listened to when you were a kid that you want to put on while we're decorating the tree, and he kind of laughed. He said, "You say this to me every single year when we're putting our tree up. That's sort of part of the ritual where I'm like, you know, we can listen to something other than King's College, Cambridge. We can listen to your music if you want." And he very um, wonderfully knows how important that particular recording is to me, and we put it on. And not only that, you know, but I won't listen to those carols in a different order. I won't listen to a more updated recording of them. It has to be that double disc mm-hmm. that my family listened to when we put on the tree and they have to go in the right sequence. And, um, you know, um, there's, and, and why do I need that? I think it is because it brings all of those previous Mm-hmm. years into the room mm-hmm. and the the joy and the sorrow that accompany that are always becoming ever more richly a part of the holiday I think you were very astute earlier when you noted that getting older kind of inevitably brings this element into mm-hmm. not just maybe the winter holidays but any seasonal celebration Although this is a major one for many people, and I think it's very Mm -hmm. quite present here. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting you're saying that because (laughs) we also have, um, and when my husband and I start to have our own Christmas rituals because we are starting to plan, uh, or we're planning on starting a family, um, Leon Redbone is going to be the one that's going to be played when we Uh decorate our tree. And it's, it's funny. I've been wondering why things feel a bit weird and different this year um we uh have my family has just moved and my husband and I are actually going to be the ones hosting Christmas dinner this Mm. year which has never happened that's exciting before it's very exciting um it's a little stressful (laughs) yes but luckily we're not doing all of the cooking ourselves thank goodness um but this is a new way of doing things Mm -hmm. and I'm excited about it, and it also feels like, for some reason, maybe because of what we've been talking about around this time of year, I want to be a child, mm-hmm. and this feels like a very adult thing oh, yeah. to do. Oh, yeah, hosting Christmas dinner. I mean, it's not all that long ago that I was at the kids' table at my family's Christmas. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, change. Change around this time of year feels more poignant perhaps Mm -hmm. um and I really do think that yes there can be room for the both and of all of the joy and all of the sadness that can come up around this time of year um I think one of the things that I feel about grief is 
that it is an expression of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it is your heart signaling to you how hard you have loved something. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much beauty in that. As painful of an experience as it can be, um, don't want to bypass that part of it. But I think there is, through grief, an avenue to deeper joy. And I think that's what we're really hoping to feel this time of year, not forced happiness, not, um, y- you can't make yourself feel happy. I mean, you no. can, you can change your mood a little bit. Yeah. Um, and certain ways of thinking perspectives can be helpful in terms of how you perceive, uh, an event that might cause an emotional reaction, but joy is something that springs up from within us. Um, and we have no control over it except to meet it and feel it as deeply as we can. And I think when we can feel that sadness and that loss just as deeply, um, yeah, I think it can really open our hearts up to experiencing everything more Mm -hmm. deeply. You're really leaning into something that I think about fairly often with regard to death work, work around death that you and I both do to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And it does have to do with the inevitability of grief if you want to live well and love well. Yes. That there is no way to avoid the kind of pain that you're talking about if we engage in the great work of loving other people. Or indeed, even um, even just engaging with other people at all, yes. um, you know, because I think sometimes the grief we feel can be a little bit complicated by our relationship with the person. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a time of year when there's a lot of focus on family, for instance, and and so if we're, it sounds like you and I were both lucky to come from. A childhood in which Christmases were a relatively happy, yes, or in, you know, indeed, often very happy mm-hmm. time of the year. Not That's... the case for everybody. So sometimes the grief you might be feeling is is an absence of something that you maybe saw presented to you at this time of year and didn't mm-hmm. experience. So we want to acknowledge that definitely as well. Um, but that I think you are so right that grief has to do with connection. Yes. Grief and and indeed I do think that grief and love are the same. I do as they well. They are the same They are the same thing. They're um, just a different expression. <laughs> they are a different it. expression. And so we're talking about this in a year where we're in the we are still in the middle of a pandemic and we've had two years of a substantially more serious pandemic behind us. Mm-hmm. And I think many people are having a Christmas in which someone they love is not at their Christmas anymore. And Mm -hmm. um, that can be devastating. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that experience is still very fresh. Yes. And it may be that this Christmas, it is difficult to access the kind of joy that you're speaking of. And, And I think if that's the case... Um, the thought that's in my mind about that right now is that that is also a sacred expression of what this time of year is. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about how um, in, uh, not too long ago, I want to say kind of in the Victorian era, there was a tradition of telling ghost stories at the winter solstice. Are you familiar with this? I actually am not. So, Tell me more. Well, I'm going to now talk about it without having done any research on it prior to this podcast, which is <laughs> becoming tradition, unfortunately. But, um, so, you know, for instance, a really classic example of this is um, A Christmas Carol. Yes. Dickens' A Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. in which, you know, probably a lot of people have encountered this story, but Scrooge encounters three ghosts and they show him Christmas past, present, and future, mm-hmm. which is really witchy when you think about it. Incredibly witchy. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's not an isolated story. That's coming out of a tradition of, um, 
of ghost stories that were written and told around firesides at this time of year. And we've moved away from that a little bit. I think we came to find that a little macabre at a festive season. But that used to be part of a Christmas tradition. Okay. I want to say, I think think maybe Henry James' Turn of the Screw is another one of these. I think the the preamble to that is that they're around a fireside sometime in the deep winter. And the narrator says, oh, I'm going to tell you the story about this happening that took place and um and that really intrigues me because why would we not tell ghost stories at the darkest time of the year why would we not tell a ghost story on the longest night it makes a lot of sense especially because I don't know about how you feel about this but um and don't get me wrong I love Samhain and Halloween um the veil almost feels thinner to me now than it does then and every I'm just really thinking and chewing on what you were saying about time kind of collapsing around Mm -hmm. this time of year and how present our past is with us and all of the things that we lose over the years people versions of ourselves um I think there's something so beautiful about a time of year when we're able to time travel in that way, mm-hmm. uh, when we're able to, through the repetition of ritual, even if the ritual has started to shift, um, and the creation of new rituals, and I'm just thinking about, I'll, I'll make it really personal for a second, but um, as I said, my husband and I are planning to start a family very soon and I've been thinking this time of year about oh what will we do um and definitely I'll want to bring in a lot of the things that my mother brought in um she's she's the one that make, makes Christmas uh my dad I think could probably care a little <laughs> bit less but um my mom and I it's something that uh I remember one year we were we weren't able to get ourselves a real live tree, uh, and we bought um, a very expensive fake tree. <laughs> there was a whole thing with a drive home from the cottage in a snowstorm, and we were just. Uh, my dad was like, "Well, maybe we just don't do a tree this year." And my mother and I were like, "No, nope. <laughs> we are stopping at Home Depot. There's like a foot of snow, all probably more than a foot of snow, all around us." Um, but we stopped at Home Depot and we bought that tree and we made ourselves use it for a few more years afterwards. <laughs> just to get just, your money's worth out of it. <laughs> we got our money's worth out of it. And then at some point, my mom and I were just, can we get a real tree again? It doesn't smell right. No, it doesn't smell it right. It doesn't smell right. And oh, scent being such a yes. huge part of the experience. Um, I'm not entirely sure where I was going with this, but... It is a really, really fluid time where it just makes so much sense to me that they would tell ghost stories. And I kind of want to bring that into my uh, my practice around this I know, time of right? year. Don't you? <laughs> I think there actually is. Maybe I'll look this up. It may be past. I do recall at some point seeing an event listing for Christmas ghost story telling in Toronto. Mm. Um and, you know, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. It may be over. It was, um, of course, it was a night when I couldn't attend because I had some sort of performance. Um, but, like, boy, would I love to go sit around a fire and tell. And actually, you know, it's maybe a tangent. If it's too much of a tangent, we'll cut it. When I was younger, we used to have Christmas Eve dinner with a family, uh, family friends. Mm-hmm. They had two kids who were about my and my sister's age and so we would eat dinner at the kids table and they would have dinner at the grown-ups table and (laughs) I don't remember when we started doing this but we did spontaneously begin telling each other ghost stories around the table stuff we'd heard stuff we'd read a friend of a friend Mm -hmm. saw this I read a scary story that goes like this (laughs) and we just kind of made a tradition out of it and so then in subsequent years we'd be like all right who's got a scary story and we would sort of creep each other out not realizing that we were actually taking part mm-hmm. in a tradition and I I think that it really does have to have something to do with the fact that like you said 
I also love Samhain. I love that late fall mm-hmm. feeling of, of um, the veil being thin. Yes. But I think maybe I agree with you that it almost feels thinner mm-hmm. now and that we are sort of surrounded by ghosts in a wonderful way at mm-hmm. this time of year as we go into the deepest dark yes. and as it gets cold and the soil gets hard mm-hmm. and the nights get dark and we all find our most special lights yes. and we find our most special smells. Mm-hmm. I do feel, perhaps even more as I get older, a sense of a very, very old kind of magic in the land and the light or lack thereof mm-hmm. at this time of year that does seem to lend itself to... Um, the presence of, of ghosts, yes. whether it's the ghost of a younger self or mm-hmm. a memory or a specific scent. Um, I had an experience yesterday morning, actually. I was um, singing, you know, with scent when you say how sort of poignant and powerful that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was singing at a church service yesterday morning. Um, I am a witch who frequently sings in church. This <laughs> That's just a whole other thing to discuss. I won't unpack that now, but I was, um, because I'm a professional singer, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in churches. Somebody had lit, um, I think they lit a piece of charcoal for incense or something, and mm-hmm. the smell of um, kind of just ignited wood in a match Ooh. suddenly conjured my dad lighting a fire in our fireplace. Okay. On, around Christmas mm-hmm. and suddenly there was this lump in my throat of just longing for that hearth mm-hmm. that time that yeah. me you know whatever I was 10 or 11 mm-hmm. that fire just great longing mm-hmm. and I thought oh you know this is what this season is <laughs> Yes. I was very sad in a, for a moment, and then I thought, well, you know, it's how, um, kind of how wonderful to be brought into contact with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what does it mean for me now? Is there some kind of sacred fire that I can light? Yes. Even if it's just a candle mm-hmm. on my altar. Is there some kind of sacred fire that I could share with somebody else? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you know, how can that transform and come with me into who I am now? Mm-hmm. Which I think maybe you know, maybe I want to invite you to say more about um, looking toward becoming a parent and bringing forward some of your you know, Christmas, the Christmases of your past mm-hmm. and bringing them forward into a new, um, version. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so the first thing that's coming up for me right now is this weird feeling of huge transformation because up until now, um, even though I've grown and have not lived with my parents for a very long time, Christmas is they put it on mm-hmm. and I show up and I'm kind of like a child again mm-hmm. in a weird way um, and I think that that's always been so even though things obviously have shifted over the years the steadiness of that um, the fact that I never have to worry that I know some people their parents um, you know they grow up they grow out of the house and the parents are like okay it's fine we're not really going to do Christmas anymore but my mom always makes sure that it is very similar to what it was when I was a child and I'm in this weird transitional in-between time uh, with the planning to become a parent in a whole bunch of different ways it's kind of transforming absolutely everything in my life and I I can't imagine that it wouldn't especially because um, the way we've done it is that we um, have we've taken our time to make sure that we're prepared to get up to that place um, and in that, about the span of a year, uh, oh my gosh, just everything has shifted. Um, 
and I am feeling at this right this moment both the grief of losing that of being the child to my parents and also the excitement uh, and just joy of the idea of creating Christmas for a child and I think that's I mean that's exactly what we're talking about here that I don't think those two things are separate from each other or Mm -hmm. even at odds with each other no I don't think so um I feel very much like yeah there is a there is a sadness there uh in terms of just thinking about how yeah that tradition with my parents I mean we'll probably you know go there and bring a child but it'll be different um and there is a little bit of a like but I don't want to give that up yeah (laughs) um and I mean that that that's going into a whole broader thing of me being terrified about the idea (laughs) of taking on that kind of responsibility (laughs) but um oh the idea of creating little rituals for um whatever tiny person we end up making oh that that fills me with so much joy and I know that it's interesting I think I would really be channeling my mother and her particular way of making that day so special for both my brother and I um I think and even thinking further ahead to when my parents will no longer be with us, they are getting uh, older. Hopefully we still have plenty of time left. Mm-hmm. But um, everything feels so swirly, I think is what I'm trying <laughs> to say here in a not very elegant way. Um, something about this particular holiday really brings up just all of the understanding of change yes i think um when we're in a space that is so connected to everything that has come before us um it's really beautiful and haunting Mm -hmm. um to think about even even think about the fact that yes i will have many Christmases with um, assuming everything goes well fingers crossed um, with a child but each year each Christmas they will be older and older and my life will have changed and their life will be growing and it all feels so (laughs) there's an easier way to connect I think when this when we come together during this time when the veil is yeah I would say I think I feel confident in saying that the veil feels very thin around this time of year and time stretches out yeah and then it also gets very very tight (laughs) yeah I mean it's very tight thinking right now that we're like a week away from (laughs) from Christmas Christmas. oh Oh my gosh gosh. (laughs) um but yeah I love that time stretches out and um and in both directions, mm-hmm. as we've been talking a bit about the past, but you know, looking, you were just saying so poignantly about looking ahead, mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas future is also with us. And I don't think it's coincidental that in Dickens's story, that is, that is a very frightening ghost. It is. And it's there in part in that story to kind of drive the moral home, but, mm-hmm. but we cannot help but feel the presence at this Christmas of the Christmases to come. I keep saying Christmas and that's because I think that's the the winter holiday that you and I both grew up observing. So just please know listeners that when I'll try and use broader language but when I I, I, but you know Christmas is I'm speaking personally Mm -hmm. like Christmas is my own frame of reference for this time of year. Mine as well. I hope that what we're saying can can broaden to include all religious and cultural observances at this time of year there are so Mm -hmm. many and I think they have great meaning to you know to whatever you are doing or or not doing at this time of year it has it has meaning for you so um you know when we come to like this darkest time of the year 
the ones in the future, the ones to come are present with us too. Even as you were saying, the, the, the child that will grow mm-hmm. um, is such a beautiful way to think about how this season shifts and changes for us Mm -hmm. and that those shifts and changes cannot help but include loss yes even as you're looking toward a joyful and positive Mm -hmm. change in your life you're 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 looking toward an aspect of your identity shifting vastly hugely and just as it is a very sacred thing to begin to move toward parenthood. Mm-hmm. There's also a sacred thing that you, I think, rightly notice that you're leaving behind, which is that sense of it. It changes. I think it cannot but inevitably shift a little bit the 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 childness of the relation with with your own parents yes. you know not that you won't you know I'll you'll always be there, there. of yeah. course there's always every time I go home there's always a part of me that's like you know loses however many years <laughs> it's just like mom <laughs> please take care of me um but but you you're stepping into a new way of relating mm-hmm. and as as much as as many wonderful changes and growths come out of that there are also losses and I think that's true of any big transition yes yeah no it's actually very interesting because um when I read around this for myself I often will go back (laughs) to episode one I often pull the death card Mm -hmm. um and as we were talking about in that episode it's very much about beginnings but also endings yeah um and I think that this is a potent time of year to be thinking about that. I think so too. I think I'm I'm trying to explain how I'm sort of picturing this, but this particular holiday or any festivity that is extremely important to a person, um, it's like a fixed point in time. It comes back around every year. And it might be the same, but you aren't anymore. Um, And maybe that's part of where that really bittersweet energy comes in. Because you've grown, you've had experiences, you've hopefully um, felt new joys. You've probably felt a lot of grief as well. Um, But you're never the same every single holiday um, and even if the rituals stay the same, I think we know, I think we know that it's always going to be different every single year and there's beauty in that. And there's also, there's also the grief. I think that your reconcilable tension between the longing for things to be as they were and the impossibility of that mm-hmm. is sort of part of the, like the sacred liminality of yes. this of this time. I know I feel it I feel it so intensely. There is a room in the house I grew up in that I always want to be in this time of year. Mm-hmm. I cannot go to that room. Mm-hmm. It's now inside me. That's the only place it is. Okay. And I feel this sort of longing for things to be back there even as I recognize that where I have moved to is also right and beautiful and mm-hmm. a good place to be. And so there's a sense, I think, of trying to honor honor the past and, and even feel the grief of the loss of that mm-hmm. while, while bringing forward... Sorry, I'm pausing here because I'm trying to pull this thought together. Yeah, no... I think this time of year gives us a wonderful opportunity for connection Mm -hmm. with the people that we are with now Mm -hmm. and with our own selves and our own needs for whatever kind of sacred connection we want at this time of year. Mm -hmm. Because you were speaking, I was thinking um, 
it seems to me like this is a, a really potent time of year to sen- have a sense of connection with ancestors. Do you feel that? I do feel that. I feel that a lot. Um, I think as we've been talking, um, and I did mention uh, that sometimes it is the loss of an actual person, and um, my grandmother is very present around mm-hmm. this time of year. She uh, passed when I was 17, um, but she was the only grandparent I ever really had. Both of my mother's parents had passed before uh, I was born, and my grandfather, her husband, on my dad's side, um, had quite advanced Alzheimer's uh, by the time I was born, so I didn't really know him. Um, And we would make fruitcake together every year, um, and... Even when she was in uh, a nursing home towards the end, uh, we we brought her home every single Christmas. Um, And her absence is really felt. Um, I think it's funny. That grief comes up um, in all sorts of different Mm. situations. And I've I've done the bulk of the grieving of that particular loss, but... I think that's something else um, that might be worth saying is that I don't think that we ever fully um, stop grieving those people, uh, those places, those things, whatever it is that we're missing. Um, I remember, not a Christmas story, but I remember about must have been about 21 so maybe four years after she had passed I was on a vacation uh, and I had a necklace of hers um, that had we were both Virgos and it had it was a gold (laughs) necklace I still have it actually um, with a little Virgo on it and I broke the chain I don't quite remember how but um, I remember <laughs> this was before I was comfortable being an emotional person in front of like any other people. Um, I ran to the bathroom and I just sobbed in there for like, oh God, probably a good half an hour. Um, I have forgotten what you actually asked me. I feel like I've gone on a tangent. No, you're not. I'd asked you about connecting with ancestors and you're <sighs> describing a really powerful instance of connecting Mm -hmm. with an ancestor through this tactile item that belonged to her. Yes. And I think, I think it's especially when we've known a person, um, I think that they are probably especially present this time Mm -hmm. of year. But when we think about, I think one thing we've been talking about here is that um, we carry on traditions during this time of year. Mm -hmm. Maybe they shift, maybe they start to look like something else, um, if we celebrate, that is. Again, always that addendum. But that ritual came from our parents, and then their parents, and then, um, well, that's actually a little bit tricky, because my relatives would not have celebrated Christmas in Japan I don't think but um, still we pass things along at this time of year and often even things like um, my mom has ornaments that she puts on her tree uh, that her grandmother Mm -hmm. uh, or sorry her mother my grandmother uh, had bought or made I think there were a few actually that she made um that presence of the past is a really good lifeline to mm-hmm. connecting yeah. um, with those who have come before us. Yeah. Um, is it okay if I ask you, you know, and if, if this is too personal, you can uh, you can um, skip it. But I would love to know if there are ways that you deliberately try to connect with your grandmother at this season, like. Do you make her fruitcake? Or are there things that you do that you did with her to invite her to be here at this time? Yes. Um, not as much as, you know what, I've been thinking about it and I, I want to try doing that a little bit more this Christmas. Um, I, I do make her fruitcake every mm-hmm. year. Except for the last two. The last two have been strange years. (laughs) The last two have been very strange years. And unfortunately, that fruitcake is really hard to make. And the ingredients are very expensive. (laughs) Uh, There's about 
$50 worth of fruit in there, oh my let's gosh. say. <laughs> it's literally, oh my gosh, this fruitcake is basically dried fruit held together by this just the slimmest amount of batter. <laughs> uh, and then doused in sherry. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, and that's a funny thing, too, because I have wanted for years to make it with rum instead. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I loved my grandmother's fruitcake. I think it would be better with rum. My father has not allowed that. <laughs> I cannot change that recipe. That's so funny. It is just... Absolutely not. <laughs> um, at some point, I think I'll probably reserve half and just put some rum in it uh-huh. and be like, no, 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 don't worry. It's all sherry. Yep. <laughs> just try this. See if you like it. Um. Yeah, baking uh, baking is actually a huge way for me to connect mm-hmm. with her. Um, she's the one who taught me to bake. It was one of the activities that we did together quite a lot while she was alive. Um, so I make her fruitcake. I make her shortbread cookies, mm. um, which I have tweaked a little bit, and my dad has allowed that. Okay. but <laughs> That's permissible, but the fruitcake fruit is, cake cannot is be not to be adjusted. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Are there uh, are there any ways that you connect with ancestors around this time? Well, um, it's funny, you know, not ancestors so much, but there is there is a chocolate cake that is made in my family at this time, and um, uh, it is a familial recipe. It is known as the secret family recipe chocolate cake. Um, and um, these last two Christmases, when I couldn't go back to the states where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, we made it. My husband and I made this cake. Oh. And um, and it was you know the taste of that cake is the taste of this holiday and yes. and it was so wonderful to um, you know it wasn't as good as my mom's mm-hmm. but <laughs> it was still um, you know it was and that's you know it's not quite connecting with ancestry but it is connecting with that branch of the family mm-hmm. um, I remember feeling very acutely last year. Mm-hmm. a longing for to reach as far back in time as I could and sort of try to think what would we have done you know what would my ancestors have done in this in these darkest mm-hmm. darkest nights and and it's it's so hard to know isn't it some mm-hmm. things are lost to history and but I just felt this immense longing for you know like a like a bonfire in the woods or something just i i wanted i wanted a a fire and special foods and and um and a sense that traditions as you i think were speaking to a moment ago that sense of something that has been passed down and down and down and down along the generations mm-hmm. um there are some things in my family, I think, that are a little bit like that, like maybe this cake recipe. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the traditions that had a lot of meaning for, for me as as a kid and, and for us now, I think are relatively new. And, and those can also be extremely mm-hmm. potent. Um, but I do remember feeling this yearning for an older connection and, and actually a sort of sorrow that I didn't feel like I had access to it and I remember that what I did was on the night of the solstice I was feeling kind of down about it actually and I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure how to observe the solstice and what I ended up doing is just turning off the lights in my living room and turning on the Christmas tree Mm -hmm. and lighting a candle in on my altar and then all of a sudden I remember having this feeling that I was one of a long line of people who had lit sacred fires at this time of year and even though my sacred fire was this little candle mm-hmm. that you know centuries ago some other woman had lit a fire mm-hmm. and and I didn't know who she was but that maybe her hands were sort of present as I lit that particular match and um, and it was a very small thing but I think that there is value in, value is not the word that I want, I think it's meaningful to find these points of connection that are afforded to us by this season, Mm -hmm. even if they feel 
small. Mm-hmm. There's a part of us that there's a part of us that reaches back, and and now as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about what we were saying earlier about how we can't help but think about the 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 Christmases to come or the winter festivals to come, mm-hmm. and that surely they must have thought of them too. That they're yes. reaching forward as we're reaching back. That's a beautiful way of thinking about it. And and that the thinness of the veil lets our hands almost touch. Yeah, yeah, oh my gosh. And I'm thinking about something, uh, I don't know if this is a fully formed thought, but um, as I was thinking about making that fruitcake and the fact that my dad is very insistent that um, things stay exactly the same, my grandmother made all of these different foods for him throughout his entire life and now I've taken up that mantle Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of spiral that that creates um, because it's not even just you know my grandmother did it and then my dad did it and then I'm doing it I am providing for him kind of something that he received as a child as his child Um, again, I don't know if this is a fully formed thought, but I just really love that idea now that I'm thinking about it. I think that's gorgeous. And yeah, yours are the hands she taught to make it. Yep. And the reason it has to be Sherry Mm -hmm. is because that is the taste of his connection with her at this time of year. Yes. Um, which is, um, you know, it might objectively be better with rum, but <laughs> it has to be sherry. But it has to be sherry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And how, how marvelous that you are able to offer that experience in a changed form because you know what? You make it with sherry because you love your dad. I do. Yeah. And because I loved her as yeah. well. Yeah. But as we so often we were thinking about bringing a tarot card into this conversation and a card that we feel connects with Mm -hmm. the season and the experiences we're talking about and I think we had settled on the five of cups yes and I wonder do you still feel like that card is connects with the experiences we're we're sharing here after we've had this conversation, I think even more so than yeah. I was um, thinking before. So the Five of Cups, um, it's really interesting. I was thinking about all of the different decks that I have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can you think are, about that many decks at just, one time? <laughs> uh, I shouldn't you, it's a normal amount of decks. It's a completely normal amount of decks, not excessive at all. No. Um, I was thinking about this card in some of the decks that I have, and very few people actually, even decks that take it kind of a fair amount away from the Rider-Waite-Smith, um, the imagery remains very similar mm-hmm. in that particular card. Yeah. I do have a few that are, um, you know, take it in a different direction, but, um, well, first let me describe the uh, RWS. Um, it's a very simple card. It depicts a figure in a long black cloak um, facing towards uh, three spilled cups on the ground, uh, and behind them are two upright cups. Mm -hmm. And it is just, I can see why people haven't really messed with it much. It's It's, very potent. It's incredibly potent, and it's very simple, really. Yeah. can I add something to that description? Yeah, the river, right? Which is, yeah, there's a river, mm-hmm. which I, you know, as the Across the River podcast, I, I like that connection. And they're looking across the river back to, is it a castle? It's a structure or a dwelling, I think. Oh, I've forgotten that part. I think there's a there's a building. Okay. Um, which I think has a lot of resonance with what we've been talking about, about a sort of longing for mm-hmm. the past. Yes. Um, and as you said, the 
that they are facing the three cups that have spilled out on the ground mm -hmm. and facing actually away from us, the viewer, right? They're facing yes, no, toward we, the back of the card. They are. We can't see their face. Yes, we can't see their face, but what we can see is that there are two upright cups behind, behind them, presumably still mm -hmm. filled with liquid that yeah. they are not looking toward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... It's really interesting because I have seen some interpretations that really focus on those two cups that are upright and how we're not acknowledging them. Mm -hmm. I don't see it that way quite as much. I see it as a card that really asks us to just honor the grief that's there. Um, those two cups in the background are a reminder that there is still joy left and there will be joy felt in the present again. But um, I think especially as a culture that really, really, really wants to, to just put grief in a corner and not look at it, um, I think those three spilled cups are really important to acknowledge before we start talking about healing, before we start talking about looking forward to the future. Um, and really, ideally, we hold both end. Mm -hmm. That these cups are spilled and there is deep grief there and that that grief will not stay in that acute, intense, painful form forever. It will start, I like I said before, I don't believe we ever stop grieving mm -hmm. what we've lost, but it lightens, it integrates, it becomes a part of who we are and we learn to carry it with us in a way that is a little more um, easeful for us. Yeah. And yeah, any thoughts about the Five of Cups? Yeah, well, as you were just speaking there about the, the three cups that are spilling out onto the ground, the image that popped into my head was the great white earth absorbing that liquid that has been spilled. Yes. That as you as you said that grief will transform and the ground that we have to hold and absorb it becomes wider i think mm -hmm. we 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 make more space in our hearts so that there's um there's an idea that i think i encountered in the writings of Tiknat han mm -hmm. who is i don't know if you've read any Tiknat han I, I'm aware of who he is, yeah. but I, I haven't actually... He, a, um, he, was, he just died recently, actually, but he was a uh, Buddhist teacher who did a lot to bring some teachings about mindfulness and I think what he called engaged Buddhism to, mm -hmm. um, to various Western cultures. And um, I think one of the ideas that I encountered in his writing is, is the idea that Part of what we're practicing is to try and make our hearts big enough that when mm -hmm. a grief enters them, the heart is big enough to hold it. Yes. And I thought of that in that image of <clears throat> of the liquid in the cups being held by by the deep earth. Uh. Um, that that we can maybe find if we can make space in our in ourselves for for the grief that is present at this time of year yes that there's enough room for it i think there's enough room in in what this season encompasses that mm -hmm. it can hold grief as well as merriment and celebration yes um and i'm thinking something too about how you're talking about the earth absorbing that um and how this might sound a little cheesy but we don't have to hold our grief alone mm. as well um, or hopefully <laughs> we don't, um, if, even if I, I'll get a little witchy here, even if you maybe don't have people in your life that can help you to hold that grief, I think that we can reach outside of ourselves for other things. Um, I think we sort of, we won't get into it today, but, um, for myself, like a tarot practice has been a really helpful way to find outside containers to help me process mm -hmm. um, and I actually did want to just because of what we were talking about today I'm going to leave in the show notes a little spread that I created oh, uh, yes. on grief for anyone who wants to um, use that it can be used uh, 
also just as like journaling prompts if Wonderful. you're not a tarot reader um but where was i going with that i am losing my train of thought <laughs> so much today <laughs> Well, it's that's wonderful because actually the next question I was going to ask you was do can you think of any rituals that people might engage in at this time to mm-hmm. both connect with and honor and make room for grief at this time of year? Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful offering is mm-hmm. you know um to and and as you said if I think if people don't have a tarot deck mm-hmm. they can probably engage with those questions as journaling prompts. Mm-hmm. But to Part of the reason we have this podcast is because it can be difficult to find people who feel comfortable talking about grief and loss. Yes. So that's part of why this is here. And and you may be finding yourself in a position where you are, ex- <clears throat> excuse me, you are experiencing grief. It's interesting that I have something stuck in my throat as I'm trying to talk about <laughs> grief, isn't it? You are experiencing grief. And then when you try to offer that or, or invite someone else to to hold it with you, they might not want to talk about it Mm -hmm. or they might not be in a place where they can talk about it if they themselves are still grieving or Mm -hmm. they might say oh you know that's really a downer for Christmas or or whatever Um, and we hope that it's the case that anyone listening does have someone that they can share this with but even if you do it's also it can be very um, healing I think to use a word that feels a little trite, but um, I don't mean healing in the sense of like making everything all better. I mean like connecting with that part of you, which is like a whole part mm-hmm. that has to do with love. Um, just yourself to to acknowledge and make room for for that grief. You know, at Samhain, sometimes um, witches and pagans will uh, do a ritual that I think is it's, has a variety of names, but I've seen it called the Dumb Supper. Yes, where you yeah. create a meal and you set a place for your ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I think that would really easily pour over into some sort of winter celebration yes. meal as well to invite mm-hmm. those we have lost to the table. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even it can be, you know, you can even invite your five-year-old self to the table if that's someone that you want present with you. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah putting out maybe some candy or cookies or whatever it might be that yes. you particularly enjoyed at that yes, age. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or um, if you're the kind of person that has an altar set up to ancestors or anything like that, it would be a really beautiful time to make an offering or yeah, light a candle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Whatever you think feels right. Um, mm-hmm. Even just a prayer. Yeah. Even just a prayer. Yeah, but I, I think... I think what we're getting at is that there are there are ritual practices or journaling practices or tarot practices or reflective practices that can give us a container mm-hmm. for this experience of grief and allow it allow it to the table. Yes. Yeah, I think one thing that the 5 of cups really shows us is um that we can't bypass it. A container is exactly it because whether we're acknowledging it or not, that grief is there. Um, I mean, if that's an experience that you have around this time of year, but I think, I think we've just spent an hour talking about how it's probably common for a lot of people. Um, so either we ignore it, uh, or we set a place for it exactly as you said, and Allow it to, I think you've said something like this uh, earlier, uh, but it really stuck with me. Allow it to enrich in the experience. Is that a word? Enrich in the experience. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because you're absolutely right. Grief is love. And love is something that I think we're all really hoping to tap into around this time of year. Yeah. I think so. Um, I think that's a beautiful place to wrap this conversation up. What do you think? I think that this is a wonderful place for it. Um, 
So we are wishing everyone the happiest of holidays if you celebrate. Um, and if not, uh, maybe just um, a really nice weekend. Yeah. If you don't celebrate, I mean, maybe what I could say about that is um, even if you don't formally observe a holiday, all of us together will go through a sacred darkness in a couple of nights. And yes. We invite you to to know that all of us will go through this longest night together as we have done since humans arose on the planet. And I think mm-hmm. there is a beautiful connection yes. in that. And that we are all going to share in everything that that long night brings up for us, whether it's joy, grief, love, or as I think is probably the case for everyone, some mixture of the three. And mm-hmm. um, so... We will wish you, let's say, a meaningful solstice. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In whatever form that meaning takes. Mm-hmm. And um, a meaningful celebration of whatever kind you celebrate. Mm-hmm. And um, when we next record, the light will be beginning to return. It will be. Yes. Yes, we will be past the darkest We will of be it. past the darkest night. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we will look forward to talking with each other and all of you then. Yes. All right. Happy all right. solstice. Happy solstice.